Hello, everyone, and welcome to our pre-debate episode of the Almost Presidents podcast. So coming up on Wednesday, tonight, I guess when this comes out, uh, we're recording on Monday, but tonight, November 8th at 8 o'clock p.m. at the Adrian Arsh Center for the Performing Arts in Miami-Dade County, the third Republican debate is taking place. So far, the candidates who have qualified for this debate are Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, former South Carolina Governor and UN Ambassador Nikki Haley. Uh, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott is a bit up in the air in the moment as he's met two of the three RNC requirements to make the debate stage. So he signed the loyalty pledge. He has the donor support, but he has not qualified as far as meeting a certain percentage threshold in the polls. And then always worth mentioning, Donald Trump qualified, although I would say that he probably wouldn't sign that loyalty pledge, so debatable whether he'd get on the stage or not. But he has qualified, but will not be attending. He will be doing something else in Florida, which we'll talk about. As far as the requirements to get on the debate stage, they were a little bit more strict this time. So this time you had to get 4% of the vote in multiple polls. You had to have 70,000 unique donors sign on to your campaign. And of course, you had to sign the loyalty pledge saying that ultimately you would support whoever winds up coming out of the primary and being the Republican nominee for president. So ultimately, it'll be a less crowded stage. Of course, as we know, Pence dropped out of the race and Doug Burgum probably is not going to be on the stage. Sad, but we'll talk about it. And uh, Asa Hutchinson, of course, not in the second debate, not in this one as well. But even though the stage is less crowded, with so much going on in the world between Israel and Hamas, Russia and Ukraine, and then, of course, domestically, the shit show that we just watched take place amongst Republicans trying to decide the House Speaker. And, of course, the fact that Trump leads the highest performing candidates in this race by over 50 percentage points, no matter what poll you look at, there's certainly going to be a lot for these candidates to talk about tonight. So Kevin, we have a lot of stuff here in our notes, but before we dig in, what are your initial thoughts going into this third Republican debate? Yeah, I don't have a lot. I can't help but feel that this is becoming a little bit farcical. I know you were listing off some of the things that have happened since the last debate, and yeah, I guess I can see, you know, these candidates are going to want to be able to put out their opinions on what's going on in Israel at the House of Representatives. But I like I want to I want to say I feel like we already know what everybody on the stage thinks about everything. I, and I feel like I'm going to be able to predict it without having to hear them say a word. You know, I mean, Israel, Hamas, all of these guys, there's no benefit to them to show any sort of, I guess, humanity to the Palestinians, they're just going to be super, super hardcore pro-Israel, super, super hardcore anti-Hamas. And then with the speakership stuff, they're not the Democrats, so there's not really any benefit for them bashing Mike Johnson and his weird relationship to porn. So <laughs> like it's they're Wait, just going to kind of be like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I didn't hear this headline. What is this? Oh, OK. <laughs> uh, I, OK, I only heard the headlines. I don't know anything about this, but. My understanding is uh, Mike Johnson, he's a very hardcore evangelical guy, and uh, he has a, this whole thing set up where his son, who is like a grown man, I, I believe, not like it's not like a child, but his son and him 
have like a pact where they can like monitor and make sure each other are not watching porn. Um, yeah. So take with that, whatever, <laughs> whatever you will. Yeah. I'm just not yes. going to comment on that at all. I'm gonna let my silence speak. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've, I've seen some articles get thrown around where it's like, Oh, is this like a national security concern? Cause it might be that Mike Johnson wants to uh, monitor other people's porn intake too. And yeah, whatever, I guess, but there's just no benefit for a Republican to bash him at all. Um, and so they'll just stay out of it. They'll just be like, yeah, I think it's bad that uh, Matt Gates did this, but what are you going to do? Um, and they'll kind of, or they might not even say Matt Gates. They'll probably blame it on the Democrats. So yeah, I, I'm, I have a hard time seeing what interesting things could come of this debate at this point. That's, that's, I guess what I would say. And as far as what you're saying about the house speakership, I think that might also be something that is just going to, fall on the moderators is that something that they're going to bring up or is that something that one of the candidates would be stupid enough to walk into because yeah like you're saying i don't see any benefit to bringing that up my initial but i thought- think the, the the i think the hosts will almost certainly bring it up right don't you agree yeah yeah you're probably right i mean we do have less like uh, yeah it still seems like it's a newsworthy thing right yeah. yeah i mean i think at this point we are i mean aren't we essentially a pretty much a year out to the day to to the election if these candidates want to go anywhere and use the debate as a place to do that this debate has to be a referendum on trump and they have to figure out some points that are really going to stick i don't know what those are and i think that's the name of the game is they none of them have figured it out to shake these people loose who are just clinging on to trump so tightly if it's even possible to shake them loose Because ultimately, Trump's not going to be there. And there's no point in them attacking each other. Because ultimately, all that they would be taking away is like the what the Nikki Haley could take away, like the fraction of a fraction of the voters that want to elect Vivek Ramaswamy, or like Chris Christie or something like that. They have to all go at Trump guns blazing. And then ultimately, when it comes down to it, and we see how these early states decide in the primaries, they got to drop out and get behind a candidate. And I think that candidate should be Nikki Haley. Yeah, I, I agree with most of what you're saying. I would I would also add that it might be too late for this approach, you know, of making it a referendum on Trump. The first and second debates should have been that as well, because, you know, what are you doing in this race if you don't think that there's something wrong with Trump as a candidate? He is massively ahead. There's a reason people aren't on the Democratic side in as great numbers jumping in against Biden because they don't think there's a problem with Biden, right? But if you're jumping in with Trump, who has clearly a majority support with the people of the Republican Party, at least, you must think there's something wrong. So why can't you say it on a debate stage? You know, and I think that's what any reasonable person looks at this situation and says, and they should have been doing that all along, is making it clear, here's why I'm running against Donald Trump, the presumptive nominee. And yeah, I think they should do it now. I think that now is as good a time as any, but I I think they should have done it a long time ago and it's probably too late now. As far as whether or not they should fall out and and uh, throw their uh, the throw their hats behind Nikki Haley, I kind of agree because I think Nikki Haley, I saw this in the New York Times poll that people were talking about for different reasons, but Nikki Haley smokes Biden way more than any other candidate in key swing states. She has a massive lead on Biden. 
when compared to DeSantis or Trump, both of whom also beat Biden, but it's much closer. So I think they I think from that perspective, they should. But from the perspective of beating Trump, I still think DeSantis is the best candidate to beat Trump. He's still got a lead on Haley with Republican voters who I think probably see Nikki Haley as kind of being too George Bush-esque. So I guess that's my view. And I I absolutely agree with your point about it being too little too late. I mean, the strategy to attack Trump should have been something that was decided out the gate. And the fact that all these candidates were too scared to do it initially is something that they're paying for now. And as far as the candidates who are in the race but don't seem to have a problem with Trump, well, Vivek Ramaswamy, congratulations, you've essentially just made yourself irrelevant because at best, you're everybody's second choice now. And as far as what you were saying about Nikki Haley, perhaps not being the best choice for everybody to throw their support behind uh, and it being Ron DeSantis, I would say as far as the numbers go and as far as just like stepping back and just looking at it that way, absolutely, 110%. It's just like and you can never make a prediction in politics and be right. I mean, Jesus Christ, like we started a Florida band, Ron DeSantis series, thinking that he was going to be everything that he was promised to be. And that proved to be completely wrong. Um, yeah. I just think that the longer he's in the race, the longer he's going to step on every rake to the point where he's even going to put the rake there, watch himself do it and step on it with his weird ass shoes. So yeah, I was going to say, it's probably because yeah. of his, the heels he's wearing inside his shoes. But <laughs> Yeah, and, and I feel like that's almost becoming like the uh, prostate exam uh, joke is in comedy, like like to, to, to politics his, is his shoes. Like I've heard every joke yeah. that one can make about it. And I think the joke is just in the shoes themselves. Like it, you can't make a joke that's funnier than just looking at the shoes, but he's just going to step on every fucking rake. And Haley has only gotten stronger, I felt – in trying to put myself in the shoes of a Republican voter who's looking for somebody that's not Trump, in my opinion, I would feel the safest putting my vote with Nikki Haley, considering where things are on a national or on a global level, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think she appeals to a lot of. I, I, I like. I just think there's a lot of people, not a uh, majority, but I think there's a lot of people in the Republican Party who don't like the direction that Trump has taken the party. They think he's incompetent. They think he's an asshole or whatever, right? Some people might even be behind like the old school neoconservative, like George Bush style of being president. And Nikki Haley is somebody for those people, for all of those people. And yeah, I think in that regard, I I didn't see it at first, but I guess I should have seen that she was always going to be a pretty strong alternative. Um, I, I think in general, I also think she's she's pretty smart. But yeah, I, I just I don't think anybody I mean, looking at most of the polls, I don't think anybody has the numbers like Trump has the majority. And I, and if everybody throws their hat behind one person. He still wins, you know, and I think the one thing that's worth noting here is that at least two of these guys on this stage still have a realistic possibility of being in Trump's cabinet. And that would be, I, I think, Vivek and uh, and Tim Scott. Everybody else, I, I don't think they got a shot at being in his cabinet. They've they've burned that bridge, which is why I don't understand why they haven't gone a little bit harder against Trump. Like, what's what's the issue? Oh, you're going to lose the base? Like, well, well, you're not winning the base anyway. You might as well yeah. give it a shot. You might as well seem like strong in the in the process. But you know, what are you going to do? 
Yeah, and I mean, Chris Christie's campaign kind of speaks for itself. He was hoping to get on and debate Trump, and there was really all upsides to that for him because he was just going to run a kamikaze campaign, and there was only downsides for Trump. So it was like, why do it at all? And Trump ultimately made the smart decision, and so that just kind of left Christie out in the wind. So I think he's just waiting for one of the early states to show him what he already knows so that he can get out of the race. But I guess the only thing yeah. that made it so that like I didn't necessarily see Nikki Haley's star rising the way that it did is that anything that she can take credit for, Trump can take credit for in regards to UN ambassadorship and any decisions that were made relating to foreign policy. Even though Trump was one of the worst presidents, like as far as foreign policy goes, like in a long, long time, maybe ever. I mean, just from reading Philip Short's biography of Putin, like he demolished years upon decades upon decades of attempted relationship building between Russia. And that's one of the ones that he claims went well. So even if there are those victories, how can Nikki Haley shake loose and be like, that was me, you know, that was me when Trump was the president. DeSantis is a little more disconnected. You know, all Trump has on him is that like, hey, I endorsed you. So you wouldn't have the job if it wasn't for me, which isn't entirely true, but still. Well, I I would say, first of all, she was the ambassador to the UN. Like, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think the UN did anything all that important under Trump's tenure. So, you know, there just wasn't really an opportunity. I mean, I think it's more of just a name on her resume than anything. But I think that she also has her record as governor to run on. And I think that her being close to the Trump administration might potentially be a good thing because I think there could be people who are kind of like, I really like Trump. I think he did a good job. I'll probably support him again. But I'm not like a super cultist like most people who are Trump supporters are. Um, and they could be swung to somebody who is sort of Trump neutral. Like they're they're not obviously against Trump. They're not obviously for Trump. But um, I think the unfortunate thing is Trump does not allow you to be Trump neutral, right? You have to either be anti-Trump or you have to bend the knee to Trump. And Haley, I think Haley tried to pave the Trump neutral path as I think DeSantis did as well, but it it wasn't an option. Yeah. I was just going to say just one more thing on Nikki Haley is I think that she is, I mean, like you said, too little too late, but uh, with that in mind, she, at least on the campaign trail is making the right moves in the sense that she's making the Trump electability argument. Like, Hey, even if you like him, we cannot have four more years of the drama. I forget the exact quote, but she, I think she even brought in like all all these indictments and things like that. Like we cannot have that. Like we need somebody to get into office and get down to business because her worldview, not necessarily ours, but the Biden administration has fucked up this country and there's a lot of terrible shit going on. So we can't have somebody who's already weighed down with all this drama and baggage. So I think that's the right argument to make. Just the timing is is way, 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 way off. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a strong argument. I also do think it's a bit nuanced for a lot of voters. Like I think a lot of voters just want like strongly staked out moral claims, not like these like strategic, pragmatic type of arguments where you're like, because I do think it's true. Like e- even if I was a Trump supporter, I would be asking myself, is he the most effective advocate for his own ideas? And I don't think the answer is yes, personally. I think there are probably people who could advocate for the same foreign policy, the same tax cuts, the same deregulation, whatever whatever you want, right? The same anti-immigration border policy, and they could do it without 
having to fire half of their cabinet every morning, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like they could do it a little bit easier, you know? Uh, but yeah. Um, anyways, I think, um, I think we should move on to, I think something that's going to be a key topic in this debate, which is what happened in Israel uh, about a month ago now with uh, Hamas attacking Israel. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Ryan, or on who this kind of would play well for. I mean, I guess we're just thinking from the, the debate perspective, obviously horrible tragedy and the, the ongoing war is also horrible tragedy after tragedy. But how is this going to play sort of in the debate, do you think, I guess? So I had two thoughts about this. The first gut reaction thought that I had was that now this makes it Nikki Haley's debate to win. And it also makes it Vivek's debate to lose. That was my first thought. But then a bunch of other things sprung out of that that I'll get into. And then the next thought that I had was, is this going to turn into a civil, reasonable, somewhat practical, I mean, look who's on the stage, somewhat practical foreign policy discussion? Or is this just going to be a bunch of chest thumping talking points about how we're going to go in there and kill all the fucking Hamas people. Israel has to be able to do whatever they want, full stop, no ceasefire, no humanitarian pause, no nothing. I mean, I, I, like I, I pulled some of the quotes. I mean, I'm freaking Vivek Ramaswamy talking about like a red wedding in Gaza. I mean, that <laughs> first of all, fuck you for saying that. You know, how dare you like make like a comparison to something that happened in a fantasy book to something yeah. that's happening to women and children that's really affecting their lives. Fuck you. And then talking about putting people's heads on pikes. I mean, he you're literally I mean, he's just trying to throw chum in the water going off of something that is so fucking awful. I mean, it's it's fuck you. Um and then fuck Ron DeSantis too because here's some things that he said about it. You know, quote, if you look at how they behave, referring to the Palestinians, not all of them are Hamas but they are all anti-Semitic. None of them believe in Israel's right to exist. He also said, quote, I don't know what Biden's going to do, but we cannot accept people from Gaza into this country as refugees. So that kind of makes me believe that this is just going to turn into a bunch of you know, baboons pounding their chest trying to say the craziest shit to put chum in the water about just going in there and fucking up the Gaza Strip. But at the same time, I could also see I mean, I think this is the less likely possibility. Nikki Haley really showing how much she knows, how much she's thought about this, and Vivek showing that, yeah, he can talk a good game. He could sound articulate. He knows a lot of nice words and how to put them together, but he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. But then the thought popped into my head is just that, like, is that going to matter if, like, the electorate, who isn't potentially, like, as as uh, chronically engaged with the news and politics as we are, um, are they going to be able to know when Vivek is full of shit? Are they going to care? Are they even watching? Right. So I know that was a lot, but the, <laughs> those are my thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I think it's basically the latter. Um, so I, I, I'm obsessed with this one moment. Uh, I guess it's two separate moments that are like parallels of each other that Trump and Obama both had. So Obama very famously, right, was president while Osama bin Laden was killed. And he gives this speech. Um, and in the speech, he's basically just very informative. He's like, just so you guys know, Obama, Osama bin Laden's dead. Like, that's basically it. 
And then Trump gives this speech for somebody that I'm sure most Americans have not heard of, although he is a very prolific terrorist, this guy, al-Baghdadi, that they had killed. He was like some leader in ISIS. And his speech, I think uh, like John Stewart or something, did like a side-by-side comparison of them. And his speech is like, al-Baghdadi's dead. He died like a dog. He begged for his life, blah, blah. And he just goes in this like huge rampage, right? Yeah. And I think that that was actually, like politically speaking, a very smart move by Trump. And it was another moment where he's kind of like in touch with his electorate, sort of almost telepathically. Because I think what a lot of people really wanted out of Obama in that moment, and granted, they probably wouldn't have given him credit for it because he's a Democrat, blah, blah, blah. But what people really wanted was, or some people really wanted, was for him to like relish in the death of Osama bin Laden. They really wanted him to like, like a champion who's brought home like the the enemy, right? Or whatever. Like they wanted to like parade his dead body through the streets kind of. Um, And I think some people still have that primal urge for violence against their enemies. And some people just want to know that the enemy is gone. And I think the Republican base is largely the type of people who want to celebrate the death of their enemies kind of. That's kind of brutal, but I think it's true. And I think that is the primary emotional response that people are going to be looking for. And I really don't think anybody cares about what is strategically the right move when it comes to specifically Israel. I think in the case of Israel, you have a lot of people who are either just reflexively pro-Israel or they're pro-Israel for religious reasons, not for like foreign policy strategy reasons. So I think where Nikki Haley, she does have this like foreign policy knowledge, um, I just don't think it's going to matter because I think people just really want a strong moral statement, which is why I do think it's just going to turn into like a chest thumping thing where everybody's just talking about how they're all just like painting these different like revenge fantasies of um, against Hamas. I do think this will be a tough thing to navigate for Vivek because he has painted himself as the America first isolationist type guy. So how do you navigate being like, we need to, go in there and put Hamas heads on pikes if you don't think that we should be getting involved in any more foreign wars, right? Like if we shouldn't be defending countries that are not America, why should we be going over there and defending Israel? But then on the flip side, right, these are Republican voters. If he's not going to defend Israel, like what the fuck? That is a a standard Republican position that is still held by the vast, vast, vast majority of the electorate. That has not changed. So I think he's in a really difficult spot where he has to either burn some of his Twitter friends, which I think is what he'll probably have to do if he's smart, or he has to kiss his chances at the nomination goodbye, which the chances are pretty small at this point anyway. But yeah, long response there, but that's that's my thoughts. Do you think, though, that what you're saying about Vivek Ramaswamy, do you think that he can wriggle his way out of this of this dilemma in the sense that you can still be America first? and isolationist and not only should we not get involved in these conflicts but we shouldn't even send any sort of aid or be involved in any conversations surrounding humanitarian like like all that stuff he can still jump in there and chest thump with the best of them as long as he's solely saying that Israel needs to do what they need to do and America should not be involved in questioning that like that, like that almost would kind of clear him of, of having to like 
get it go any deeper than that. It's just so weird to talk about the Republican Party. Like this is the party of Reagan, right? And and yeah. and they're well, kind of like just isolationists. Yeah, I mean- I mean, that's so that's going to, I think, run him into the problem of everybody else on that stage is going to be willing to promise aid to Israel. Everybody. You know, why wouldn't they? Because it's just the obvious <laughs> it's the obvious move if you're a Republican and he's going to have to stand up there and say, I don't think there should be aid to Israel. I don't think we should help them. And he's going to have to stand on that position and he can try to dodge if he wants. But I think he's going to then continue to give people the impression that he's a used car salesman who is shifty, lies and doesn't really have a, a coherent policy towards anything. That's my kind of, I think he's, I think he's pretty, he's pretty fucked on this and he should just avoid this if he can help it, <laughs> but he can't. And ideally the other candidates preparing for this debate will not let him avoid it and will kind of step on him a little bit for it and make him say something about it. Yeah. I mean, well, the real move that he should make is he should just say he will support Israel. Like he will, he will offer aid to Israel um, they're our ally and we should help them, et cetera, et cetera. And then that puts the other candidates in the position of they have to, uh, if they're going to attack him, they have to be like, well, wait, you're being inconsistent because you oppose aid to XYZ country. You said it was so bad that we were giving aid to these countries. And now suddenly they're like attacking him on being not isolationist enough. So like he would kind of put them in, on a back foot, I think, but I don't, I don't know if he's going to do that. We'll see. I mean, we're definitely used to him bobbing and weaving. That's kind of typical Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. It's what he's always been doing. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not quite the. I mean, maybe we got to quantify what the Vivek vehicle is. You know, it's definitely one of those crotch rocket Suzuki motorcycles that's just zipping in and out of lanes of traffic. You know, this isn't. This isn't exactly a bus. You know, this thing is very maneuverable. It's always crafty and trying to dodge, and looks cooler than it is. But ultimately, yeah, the sound of it makes you sound like a fucking pussy. Um, so, so uh, I, I, I thought of this, or I found this interesting little tidbit that kind of brings us back to the speaker stuff. So, Mike Johnson, the speaker, the new speaker of the House. There's been a lot of talk about this. I think it wound up getting killed. But uh, the speaker of the House introduced something where basically they were trying to tie aid to Israel to all of these different Republican policy goals such as cutting aid to Ukraine uh, or cutting IRS agents. So you wouldn't be able to get aid to Israel unless you also cut off X number of IRS agents or you cut off X number of dollars aid to Ukraine, right? I, I, do you think they're going to, I don't know if they're going to bring this up, but if, you, if they bring this up, how do you think some of these candidates react to this? Because I think this is very clearly a weak on Israel point, right? This is very clearly an example of, Republicans getting in the way of Israel aid because they want to rope in their own political bullshit. Something Republicans tend to be very critical of is that that like log rolling of 25 different policy goals into one bill. Yeah, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Yeah. um, Now that you bring it up, I I guess I have have a few, but I I think I'd be more interested to hear what uh, what your thoughts are, because think you, you you seem definitely better read on this one than me I, I just was aware that this is something that they were trying to do um but not much more than that but something that crossed my mind is that this also might be like a landmine that they don't know to look out for because this could also lead them to uh defending trump in a way because why are we trying to de- defund the irs well because it goes after people like trump who you know are completely innocent um, the IRS has not been 
in the headlines for anything good anytime recently and just get up in grandstand like that. Even though like I think a lot of the IRS people being cut <laughs> are the ones who would make sure that the fucking top 1% of the top 1% actually pay their taxes on the wealth that they have. But I don't know. Maybe that was kind of out of left field. I mean, what what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it, it really depends if they can get it passed, right? I don't think it's going to... I think like if it gets passed, it could potentially make Biden look bad if we're not signing it. Um, from the perspective of the candidates in the debate, I think they'll probably come out for it because I don't think people think about the fact that when you do this, right, when you like group two things together like this, you make it harder for the bill to pass, right? Because now suddenly large groups of people who otherwise would have been totally on board with aid to Israel, lots of Democrats support aid to Israel. Like now, now they're not so sure, right? Because now it's going against some of their policy goals. Um, so I don't think most people think that way. They're, they're just thinking of like, I want this, I want the aid to Israel. And I also want the IRS agents cut, right? And I want both things. So if you put them together, that's even gooder. Right. Um, so I think probably just just being like, yeah, that was a good decision <laughs> is what's going to happen. I do think it, it's they're probably supporting something that makes it a lot more difficult to actually get aid to Israel. Absolutely. I don't know if anybody will. I don't know if anybody will call them out on that, though. Like, I don't know if anybody should stand up there. I don't know if anybody will stand up there and say this is an emergency and we need to get that aid to Israel ASAP. Like, I don't think anybody will have the balls to stand up there and say that because then they're coming out against some of these things that people like, which is like cutting IRS agents. Yeah. And what you said about that bill is absolutely right. I just think that the Republicans are happy to be blatantly hypocritical and it hasn't really cost them anything to do so. And then also, I I don't know... (laughs) Really, any of the other moderators, aside from Lester Holt, I didn't look too much into them. But I mean, everybody knows Lester Holt. I'm hoping that since he is, because because I I feel like these last two debates. Am I wrong about this? But in, in thinking that the moderators were super conservative leaning, whereas Lester Holt is is not you know that way, and and he can be a tough you know interviewer when he wants to be. I'm hoping that he can put the screws to them on exactly things like this. I hope so too. I do think one of the things that's super annoying is I do think a lot of these moderators, one thing they have to keep in mind is that if they're too tough, then they risk alienating the Republican party for future debates. And then like the party doesn't want to call on them to do debates in the future. And so they have to play this kind of balancing act, I think. And it's dumb, but it's probably the way it is. Um, I do hope he asks some tough questions. I wish people in these uh, debates would ask tougher questions, but who knows if it'll happen. Yeah, like I agree with you last time. I think the the past couple book, uh, debates, I think, you know, Brett Beyer was up there. I know Brett Beyer. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, I think I think he's uh, soured on some conservatives just because he is a, he attempts to be an objective journalist, but I, he is very conservative. How dare he? For sure. Yeah, right. Like, um, but he is very conservative leaning for sure. I've I've listened to him. I actually used to occasionally listen to. He had a podcast for a while that I occasionally would listen to, but the audio quality was so bad that I had to stop. Oh, really? 
Come on, dude. Yeah, right. With like 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 a Fox News host, like one of the top Fox News hosts, and that's his audio box. It was it was terrible. It was like it was like he was talking into a phone, dude. But um, he should give me a call. I'll I'll put through Audacity for him and send it yeah, back. Yeah, well, I haven't listened to it in years. Maybe I don't mind. It's improved. I don't know, but. <laughs> Because um, I would say, like, even if Vivek Ramaswamy's podcast is, is good quality, like, dude, it, it doesn't take much. Like, just get a producer. Yeah, it, it's, it's it easy. Yeah, yeah. If you have if you have money, yeah, just pay a producer. You literally don't have to do anything at all. Like, yeah, I mean, we're a little salty about Zencaster, so I don't want to promote them too much. I'm already doing too much by saying the name, but like, they've done halfway decent for us <laughs> in, in, in producing our show. But uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get super in the weeds about podcasting although i think there are a few people who listen who have podcasts or are definitely podcast geeks um yeah i i did want to bring up this is kind of swerving perhaps more to domestic things this is a home game for ron DeSantis. i would argue that it's kind of like a de facto home game for trump i know that trump is a new york guy but he has been living at mar-a-lago he has been you know, doing a lot of campaigning and hanging around in Florida. It's where he keeps all of his classified documents and stuff like that. So I'd call him a Florida guy too. DeSantis, like he, he, so he's campaigned on this idea to make America Florida. It's the subtext of his book. He's, I mean, at least initially, he was kind of campaigning on a lot of his accomplishments in Florida, or at least he should have been. Is this a golden opportunity for him to? make the debate like about that, like the, like give him a chance to kind of showboat. He's in his home state to talk about all that he's done there to advance conservative, the conservative agenda in Florida. Cause he, I mean, he has, I mean, objectively he has accomplished, you know, a fair amount. Although there is, you know, worth mentioning that abortion bill that a lot of, you know, conservatives have soured on, including Trump, as far as the severity of it, I believe it's like six weeks or some shit. What do you think? What do you think about that? I mean, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference it being a home game for him, but I, I did think it was at least worth mentioning. I feel like we've kind of learned that these debates just aren't a huge W for DeSantis. You know, I mean, I think he does fine. I don't think he does that. Like he doesn't do as bad as I thought he was going to do. Like I think in that first debate, a lot of people did come out saying that they thought he did pretty well. I didn't think so, but a lot of people did think that like voters and whatnot. So, you know, I think he does okay, but he's not a debate guy. He's not, he doesn't get these like big ticket moments where he owns somebody on stage and he really like holds them to account. He just, he isn't that kind of guy. And so I, I just, I have a hard time believing that any debate of any kind in any place, it could be in his, his literal mom's, his literal mom's house. I don't think it's going to be a huge win for DeSantis. Um, might not be a huge loss either, but it's not going to be a huge win. And I, I don't think anybody is going to post up a big enough win to make a difference here, personally. No, I mean, ultimately, these people are fighting for, like, it's, the table scraps isn't even an apt enough uh, comparison. It's it's less than that is what they're fighting for. Although, I mean, something else I did want to ask you because I, I don't know, and, I, and I'm curious if you had any thoughts about it or if you knew, is what do you think or, or where did Pence's supporters go? You know, where, where would be their next place? Do you, what, I mean, because I'm assuming they all wouldn't go back to Trump. Like, they were probably with Pence for the reasons that 
makes him opposed to Trump. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't rule out that some of them went to Trump because I think voters it's 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 very complicated to figure out why a voter, each individual voter likes a candidate. And I, I could be I could imagine somebody who's like not very deep in the Trump universe. They they might just be like, yeah, Pence, you know, I, I like I like him and maybe I'm like more religious leaning. So I really like this guy who is known for being super, super religious. But I, I don't know. I'd like I, I got to imagine. Yeah, there's a good number of people in his camp that are explicitly anti-Trump. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure where they went. I tried to look at some of the polls because there's only a few polls at this point that don't include Pence. And it feels to me like Haley's gotten a bit of a boost in those polls, but I it's hard to tell. Yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. It just hammers home to me again and again how little this debate matters and how much it feels like, as a listener, don't watch it. Like, we'll watch it for you because we... <laughs> We do this podcast by choice because we like to, and we're willing to. Yeah. I mean, I I like watching debates either way, but like it's just it, it's not worth watching. It doesn't matter, and like when they take away, I mean, like it's like you said towards the beginning of the podcast, like when they take away percentage points from each other, it does not matter. Like if you're not taking away percentage points from Trump, you do not even have a snowball's chance in hell of of being the nominee. I guess for context, I can read off just some of the results from this uh, most recent poll. It's Rasmussen. I feel like Rasmussen is reasonably re- reliable. I think some people don't like it, but in the to the extent that they don't like it, it's because it's too right leaning. So I think it it should be a good indicator here. And in this Rasmussen poll, Trump has fifty percent of the vote. The next highest person is DeSantis with twelve. Right, so this is a plus thirty eight Trump poll. And if you look at the rest of them, most of them look like this. Um, Haley's at nine. Ramaswamy's at three. I think Christie is is the next highest at five. Doug Burgum has zero percent, um, but I think that's just a typo. I, I think they meant to write 100. Yeah, there's, um, a, there's a lot of typos going on. I don't get what's going yeah. on. I'm, I'm trying to teach my kids in school to like write better so that this doesn't happen when they are able to vote and do these jobs. Yeah. Because Doug Burgum, he's he's the he's the guy. He's presumptive nominee. Bushy brows, <laughs> bushy brows. Let's go, yeah. Naruto. <laughs> yeah, but I guess I just read that off just to illustrate how royally screwed uh, all of these people are. There's no, there's really no shot that this turns around. I, I, I mean, I, I hate to say that because you know there's always a shot, but I think most of these people are probably at this point banking on either getting some sort of cabinet seat in the case of a few of them, or uh, they're banking on Trump going to jail and somehow being forced to drop out. Um, You know, what's funny though, is you you just made me feel a little bit optimistic about these other candidates because I thought that as far as (laughs) the percentage points that he was up, it was higher. And I think even at the beginning of the episode, I might've fucked up and said that he was like, 50 points, uh, yeah, 50 percentage points uh, ahead of everybody. So I'm sure you can find a poll where apolo- he is, though, Apologies so for that, fair. but I mean, <laughs> well, with, with, um, Pence, with Pence gone, though, 
I do think it's worth mentioning. Um, who do you think in this debate, if anybody, is going to bring up sex? Because Pence did a great job of bringing it up in the last debate by saying he was uh, sleeping with somebody who was a teacher as well as as Joe Biden sleeping with somebody who's a teacher. Dude, one of the weirder I, moments I in the debate. <laughs> I forgot that moment. So I was expecting you to say something like, yeah, I sleep with somebody. His name is Jesus. <laughs> I mean, but, or, honestly, or like the, uh, that sounds like something that the South Park writers would write. But so far, like in recent news, like they might as well be writing the headlines. Yeah. Well, there is a great scene from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where um, Charlie is pretending to be like a preacher or something. And he's like, I'm in love with a man, a man named Jesus. Does that make me gay? <laughs> yeah, I love yes. that episode. <laughs> Yeah, uh, which, yeah, I, I thought that was what you were going to say because I forgot about that quote. But yeah, that was a super weird, definitely one of the weirdest debate moment moments like ever. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people like that one. My favorite, and look, it, it might not be a popular one. It might not even be one that people have thought about at all since. But my favorite is still, and maybe it's the New Jersey enemy, when they asked Chris Christie about aliens. And, yeah, that and was Christy, a good one. Christy was just like, what, what the fuck did you just ask me? Like, we're not even yeah, talking about aliens point. in terms of immigrants. Like you're literally asking me about outer space aliens right now. And what I think about them, like, what the yeah. fuck? <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. But no, I mean, I think, I think the most likely outcome in which somebody brings up sex is some, is if Scott gets too, yep, if, Scott. if he gets, if he gets it all out of pocket, somebody's going to make fun of him because he's a virgin. It, it's got to happen. Yeah, which honestly, I mean, from listening to like Love It or Leave It and other uh, shit, like just, I mean, just political media in general, you know, like whether it's like legacy media or like independent, like there's just like leave the poor guy alone about that. Right? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty mean. It's pretty mean. I mean, he has a girlfriend. He doesn't. He, he has sex. He doesn't. Who cares? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Guess it's, I guess it's funny to to talk about but like ultimately i mean to me it's a little bit more important like about like 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 him as a senator him as a presidential candidate and uh it's low-hanging fruit though it really is oh it is yeah it's it's an easy insult to throw at him but look if the guy's saving himself for marriage and he's serious about that who's he hurting nobody yeah look hey power to him uh, if that's what you want to do, go for it. Mrs. Scott is out there somewhere for waiting for him. Yeah, for she sure. Saved, she saved herself too. Well, all right, folks, that's about all we have as far as stuff that at least occurred to us to keep on your mind as we prepare to go into this third Republican debate. Don't watch it, but I don't run your life. So if you want to watch it, watch it. And uh, again, it's going to be tonight at 8 p.m. You could look up where to watch it. As of right now, we're going to see DeSantis, Chris Christie, Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, maybe Tim Scott. And then in the meantime, Trump is doing some kind of a rally where I think he has his spin doctors tuned into the debate so he can clap back live if they talk shit about him. So at the very least, it'll make for good television if you – are able to disconnect yourself from caring about America and how important this is at a very scary time in the country and in the world. So with that, we will leave you. 
be well, and we hope that you enjoyed the show.